Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. I'm John, and today I'm going to be having a quick look through the second of two combined rules tomes that I've received a an advanced pre-released PDF copy of from the Old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy Kickstarter. And today I'm going to be looking at the Referees Tome, which has a pimpass lich on the front cover. Okay, so I did an episode recently where I looked through the other of the combined tomes, which is the Player's Tome, which had all the player-facing stuff in it, unsurprisingly enough. I'm now going to be having a quick flick through the Referees Tome. If you're not aware of what Old School Essentials is, originally it was a faithful sort of uh, retro-clone or sort of re-envisioning of the old basic expert D&D. You know, we just like the layout tweaked and a few sort of contradictions uh clarified but it was largely faithful to the old game then this advanced fantasy kickstarter adds in some additional options that are sort of ad and beyond stuff that's been retrofitted to work with the elegant simplicity of the sort of basic D style model so Let's have a quick flick through this PDF. But first of all, just let me remind you again that these are advanced pre-release PDFs that Gavin Norman of Necrotic Gnome was good enough to send out to the Kickstarter backers. Thanks to that, Gavin. And there may be changes made before they go into publication. And once the, the Kickstarter stuff has been sent out, I'm sure these will be available from Necrotic Gnome and Exalted Funeral. So let's look at the table of contents. First of all, we've got an introduction. We then have a section on running adventures, monsters, encounter tables, NPC encounters, treasure, magic items, sentient swords, great part of basic D&D that and finally an index of tables monsters and magic items so the introduction again like the player's guide gives us a bit of a breakdown on what old school essentials advanced fantasy is uh, to put it in the tome's own words streamlined core rules founded in the tradition of the 1980s basic expert set with some extra monsters and magic items inspired by the flavour of the 1970s advanced first edition rules. In order to use this book, you require the Advanced Fantasy Players Tome, which I talked about in the last episode. So you can check that out if you want more of a sort of flick through of that. The first chapter after the introduction deals with running adventures. It talks about the referee's role and it describes the referee as being a facilitator of fun and adventure a neutral judge and an arbiter of the rules and there's a bit of a breakdown of what that means and i think it's great to see the tome sort of wearing its heart on its sleeve and just putting that out there and that seems to fit very well with the sort of bx style of giving procedures and clear advice that sort of in black and white puts down you know what you should be doing in a game and what the sort of role of a gm is rather than sort of dancing around the subject we get a small section on handling PCs, so it talks about how you quickly you advance your group, whether you prefer a standard rate of advancement, you know, sort of three, four sessions to make it up to level two, whether you want it slightly faster for your games or slightly slower, and the effects that they can have on your game. It talks about the distinction between player character and character knowledge, which 
is always an important distinction to bear in mind and ways of maintaining the challenge and the pressure during your game we then move on to running the game where it gives some advice about how you describe things sort of areas um, unknown threats there's a little bit of advice on using miniatures if that's your bag and then we get a breakdown of monsters and NPCs, of how their intelligence can flavour the tactics they use in games. So, for example, uh, does a monster use traps? Does it lay traps? Does it take advantage of them? Do they use guards or pets? If they've got magic items in their treasure hoard, if they're intelligent, do they pick up that singing sword out of their treasure hoard and use it when those threatening adventurers come in? I mean, why wouldn't they if they're intelligent? We then get a section on teamwork and how you can motivate sort of monsters and NPCs and whether they'll work with others to help combat the player characters. The next section, and this follows the, the same sort of style as the previous times and previous old school essentials releases of having these nice clearly laid out double page spreads where pretty much everything you need for a particular subject is on a single double page spread which is well handy when you've got the book open in front of you you're not having to flick backwards and forwards all the time or at least that's kept to a minimum the two-page spread on adventure scenarios talks about how you can design an adventure and it offers 10 different suggestions as for the sorts of adventures that are typical of your standard D&D setting. And these are banishing an ancient evil, clearing ruins, contacting a lost civilization, escaping from captivity, exploring unknown territory, performing a quest, rescuing captives, scouting an enemy outpost, seeking a magical doorway, or visiting a sacred site. And there's a little paragraph sort of elaborating on that for each of them. On page 10 and 11, we then get the first double-page art spread in this tome, and it shows a hooded figure on a throne with undead guards to either side and what looked to be teams of Durgar or deep dwarves of some kind erecting a golden statue. A beautiful piece of artwork, very evocative. We then move on to a double-page spread about designing a dungeon. So it talks about choosing the setting for your dungeon and offers some typical examples, so like crypts, natural caverns, settlements, etc. We get some advice on choosing monsters, mapping the dungeons and stocking them. There's some example room traps, treasure traps, some example sort of special sort of environmental hazards like illusions, animated objects, and a sort of typical types of treasure that you might like to give at certain levels of your dungeon. And there are a couple of random tables to aid with that if you need those. We get a section on designing a wilderness. Again, it follows a similar format to designing a dungeon. You know, you choose the setting, you map the region. In this, you locate human realms and non-human realms, put in a base town for the players to range out from, scatter your dungeons around, and create a regional set of encounter tables we get some guidelines on designing a base town you know typical inhabitants for the sort of pseudo medieval setting of DD for villages small towns large towns and cities note the services that are available in the towns you have black markets healings lodgings rumors that all that sort of good stuff that adventurers need to get themselves going uh, detail the ruler and how the settlement is ruled 
detail any other NPCs in the setting and of course create those all important local rumours that are going to send your player characters off on a lifetime of adventure. We then get a short one page section about awarding XP whether you want to award that for just recovering treasure or also for defeating monsters. There are various options and scales available for that. And a little bit of discussion about how the XP should be divided. We then move on to the monsters section, the bestiary effectively. We get a description of the game statistics are going to feature in that and how that breaks down in a nice double page spread along with some generally useful notes on improvision, languages and whether a monster is classified as a person or not, you know, when the players bust out that whole person spell. We get combat tables listing the attack rolls to hit and the, the thaco for the various different creatures and also their saving throws. And then we go straight into the actual monster descriptions themselves. And I'm not going to go into all the different monsters here, but there's a wide range of different things, ranging from white apes to bears to black puddings, blink dogs, cave locusts, dark creepers, djinn, dragons, of course, it's Dungeons and Dragons, dwarves giant ferrets, giant fish, flail snails, ghasts, giants, gnolls, all of that sort of good stuff you can find in the bestiary. And the monster stats are kept pretty brief. You tend to get one or two lines of description. Then you get a little condensed stat block. And then normally sort of three or four little bullet points that sum up any particular special abilities or sort of little skills or little tricks that that monster might have or sort of certain methods of behavior. So for instance, to look at one of the example monsters, the Marrow, we are told that they are frightful humanoids, nine foot tall with green scales, shaggy weed-like hair and webbed hands and feet, sometimes called aquatic ogres. They dwell in shallow waters, lairing in underground caves. We get the little stat block for them. Then we're told that they have a four in six chance of surprising people due to camouflage and they can only breathe out of water for two hours. So that's the sort of a level of sort of stats we're looking at. Some creatures have a few more tricks and abilities, some have less, but it's nicely condensed. You're not going to have to read through an entire page of stats and ridiculous abilities to use any of these monsters. An old favourites like the Lich and various things like that. Yeah, I know, I love me a lich, are all in there. There's also a another beautiful double page artwork spread on page 116 and 117, which appears to show a sort of harveling, I presume, wizard and other adventurer walking through the woods. And there's this twisted, sort of gnarled, almost demonic looking tree with a jagged mouth and fiery red eyes sort of looming it out into the path behind them great stuff we then get a set of encounter tables for both dungeons and the wilderness the dungeon one is divided by level so you get two tables in here one for levels one to three and one for levels four plus the wilderness tables are fairly extensive you roll a d8 and then you 
read along the top of the table to the terrain type that your player party is in. Once you've found the result, it gives you a subtable to roll on related to that particular type of terrain. You then roll a d20 on that and it tells you what sort of creature has been encountered. We then get a section on NPC encounters, which gives you a procedure for generating parties of NPC adventurers. The book advises you that this procedure is fairly involved, so you might like to generate some NPC parties for use in random encounters. And if I remember correctly, I can't check at the moment, but if I remember correctly, I believe that this is potentially going to be added to the online generators that are on the old School Essentials website, which would be a great thing to see. And effectively, you can just follow this procedure, making a number of choices or random rolls to gen up a party of NPC adventurers for your players to bump into. We then get a page on strongholds, where but this is talking about players not really building their own strongholds that's in the sort of player's tone but this is when they come across a stronghold owned by an npc and there's details on determining what sort of ruler is in charge of that stronghold how far and wide they send their men to patrol what sort of garrison they have there and what sort of reaction they're likely to have and there's a little table to determine that if you want do they try and chase the pcs out of their territory ignore them or are they maybe friendly and invite them in for some sort of parley we then move on to a section called treasures which gives some advice about placing treasure whether that's rolling randomly or via referee's choice and there are a number of tables which detail various types of monster treasure hordes that you can find these are all distinguished by the letters of the alphabet you get told sort of roughly on average how much each type of horde will yield and then you get a sort of table which lists a percentage chance of finding a certain amount of money so for example if you come across a monster that has a type a treasure hoard we're told that the average is eighteen thousand gold pieces amongst the type a treasure hoard there is a 25 percent chance of there being 1d6 times a thousand copper pieces a 30 percent chance of there being 1d6 times a 1000 silver pieces a 20% chance of there being 1d4 times 1,000 electron pieces, a 35% chance of there being 2d6 times 1,000 gold pieces, a 25% chance of there being 1d2 times 1,000 platinum pieces, a 50% chance of there being 66 gems, a 50% chance of there being 66 pieces of jewellery, and a 30% chance of there being three magic items. And there... The letter codes A to O correspond to hordes. The letter codes P to T correspond to individual treasures. And the letter codes U and V correspond to group treasures. We then get some details on magical items along with random tables to determine what sort of magical items you'll get if you're rolling them for a horde. There's some advice on identifying them, how they can be used, uh, whether the magic item requires a command word and if so how can the players work it out as well as some quite useful advice on how to handle players who manage to get their hands on items that bestow wishes now these have the potential to be quite game changing so it's nice to see some strong advice in the book we get some details on gems and jewelry and a table for rolling to determine the value of gems and various pieces of jewelry and then we go into the list of magic items 
and I'm not going to go through all of these in detail because there's a lot of them, but they range from your fairly typical like armor that gives you like bonuses to AC, weapons that give you bonuses to attack and damage and stuff like that, to more sort of esoteric like miscellaneous items like cubes of force, displacer close, Ifriti bottles, gems of seeing, and all of the many and various uh, magic items that D&D players will be familiar with. And each of those gets a write-up, again with a few sentences describing what they do, and some clear bullet points sort of telling you like how long they last, if there's any secondary effects, that sort of thing. It's all nice and clearly laid out for you. On page 194 and 195, we get another beautiful two-page artwork spread, which appears to show a sort of ethereal or semi-invisible hero carrying probably a coin purse or maybe even a potion bottle sort of slinking past some guards again very atmospheric great to see this which segues neatly into the potion section you get a random table telling you how you can determine what sort of potions are found in a hoard we're told how they can be used how they can be identified what happens if you mix potions etc and what happens if you just try and like sample a little bit of a potion which tends to be my default sort of method of determining what a potion does if i'm playing dnd to or old school essentials to be honest so it's nice to actually see some sort of clear rules for that obviously gms can change it for their own game but it's nice to see it down in the actual book we get a section on magical rings rod staves and wands scrolls and maps now one of the things that i like about this is that obviously we know what scrolls do they have spells on that can be used there's curse scrolls which cause harmful effects there's protection scrolls which when they're activated it conjures a 10 foot radius of protection around you that protects you against a certain type of creature but i do love seeing the treasure maps on there and the treasure maps are ranked by number from 1 to 12 and a little section in here tells you basically the number code corresponds to what the treasure map leads to so a class one treasure map leads to one magic item a class five treasure map leads to three magic items and a potion and a class 12 treasure map leads to a hoard worth 66 times a thousand gold pieces and that's really nice to see obviously the gm would have to elaborate on that a bit and prepare the sort of adventure site where you were to find the hoard or the magic items or whatever but it's nice to see some rules that actually say yeah this is the classification of treasure might be rolled this is the sort of thing it should be leading to we get a section on swords very important in a game that's based on bx dnd a section on other magical weapons and finally sentient swords which i remember was quite a big thing back in the day and basically if you roll a sword that possesses sentience or and a special purpose it has what's called an ego rating which it tells you how to determine in it here it's basically a measurement of their force of personality the intelligence and ego of the sword determines how many additional powers it has how it communicates with the wielder but also if the ego's far higher than the player character who's wielding it and the sword doesn't like what's going on it may try and take control 
of the character and determine what they do to further its own goals. And all of this is dealt with in this section. And finally, after that, we have an index of tables in the book and a, an index of the various monsters that are in there, followed by an index of magic items and then the open game license. And it's great to see these three indexes at the back of the tome because obviously the tomes are fairly thick. I mean, this one's sort of 240 pages plus. So it's nice to have not only a really nice contents page, but also a comprehensive index page that you can quickly look things up and hopefully minimise the amount of time you spend flicking, looking for stuff in the tome during your game. And I think the, the nice and clear layout and the two-page spread that's become sort of um, synonymous with Necrotic Gnome publications also strengthens this and makes it very easy to find stuff during your game. So... If you are interested in old school essentials and you maybe want to have like a few more of those optional rules and some more of that stuff that's inspired by AD&D first edition, I really recommend you pick up both of this and the player's guide tome. The books are also available, the Advanced Fantasy and the Core books, in sort of thin individual volumes. But for me, you can't go far wrong with picking up these two tomes and you've got everything you need to rock and roll and run your own old school essentials game. I'm currently running a campaign using the classic Fantasy Royals tomes with the PDFs of some of the advanced options. But I cannot wait to get my hands on the hard copies of these tomes so i've got them all there and i can easily reference them during my games so if you've backed the kickstarter you already know what i'm talking about because you've got these advanced pdfs and you're probably waiting on tender hooks like i am for the actual hard copies if you have missed the kickstarter then what i would say is after the kickstarter has been fulfilled these books will no doubt be available from necrotic gnome and exalted funeral so check them out if you love bx dnd and such like you will not be disappointed so that's it for this episode if you want to get in touch with us you can drop us a voicemail using speakpipe there's a link in the description of this episode or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com until we see you next time take care stay safe and keep gaming mm-hmm.